Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, for the last month or so, we have really been discussing the fact that people have trauma in their lives, always to different degrees than others. There's no way that that can be an equal distribution. And one of the things that we've obviously discussed in this is kind of our role dealing with other people who have trauma. We discussed it with me in my business context. And we discussed it with our role of going out and to help others get through this as kind of an outsiders that that's our responsibility. And one of the things that I wanted to start with was we were kept heading it from the outsider's perspective rather than someone who is trying to get themselves through trauma. And obviously I'm not a psychologist. So there's a lot of this that I can't give, you know, true answers on. But I do know that there are mechanisms that every single individual has that can make us better. So for instance, we all have experienced a moment in time whenever we got upset, possibly aggressively upset very quickly and then our own internal mechanisms slowed us down and got us to a place of relative calmness given the situation. Maybe someone cut you off on the road, you had to slam on the, the brakes, everything went flying into your car. Next thing you know, the whole thing's all wet and sticky and you're not happy about it. But it's not like you then rammed the guy off the road and saw him fall off the bridge. You know, you, you gathered yourself back together and returned to a state of, of relative calm. And in this episode, I want to talk about the importance of exercising that muscle, if you will. I know that it's a mental thing, but as we, we've discussed in kind of vague terms, we're not able to help each other if we're in a state of chaos and craziness. We have to, we have to you know, put the air mask on yourself first as the plane's crashing before you help everyone else. And I wanted to use this space here to kind of discuss how we can help ourselves get to relative calmness and be able to be helpful directly to other people. And even if it's just as a passive example, to be a benefit for those around us that, you know, should help everyone if, if we have a fruitful conversation here. So that's what I'm going for, Father. Hopefully uh, that makes sense. And we have a nice starting point here. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think that uh, understanding, I think the way you approach that was already so helpful because it was very compassionate and uh, understanding. And I think that's the way that we need to approach these dynamics in ourselves as well, is from a place that's compassionate and curious. Like, why, why does that cause such a strong reaction in me? Why did I get so worked up about that? What's, what's at stake there? Or, or what's, what's that triggering in me? What does that touch on in my, my past? What am I really defensive about? Uh, one, one way you can say it is, you know, like when your boss got upset at you and you yelled at him, you weren't actually yelling at him. You were yelling at your father because that's the same dynamic that was unfolding. And so um, those kinds of patterns happen in us. And I think the first thing is to be is to be compassionate with ourselves about that and then try to understand that's the, the curiosity. And then, and then to connect to those parts in ourselves. Cause you also described very well, like somebody you know cuts us off, splashes us and uh, we 
we go into a fight or flight mode and, and it, uh, we get flooded. A part of us gets, uh, takes over. And then when we calm down, it's almost like, I can't imagine that I ever did that. So we have some really strong, uh, parts in us that when we're in those parts, like when those, when those parts are in control of us, it's almost like a different, you know, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde experience, which of course is a dramatization, another degree of intensity beyond what we're talking about. But it's that kind of thing where it's almost hard to access that part of myself. I can't imagine myself being that angry. And yet the fact is, you know, and maybe I even have a picture of it or a recording or something. Mm -hmm. I can, I can look at it and say, wow, I really got that angry, or I really got that uh, upset that that's sad, or I really got uh, that addictive and you know self indulgent or something. Um, you know, it can be hard to connect with those parts of us outside of the experience itself. And so, so I think we just have to have a lot of compassion around that to begin with. That uh, we're not just judging and condemning ourselves. There's a tendency to you know, and that's the sort of um, I remember early on in my monastic life, which is also early on in my Catholic life, where I had, a, you know, really high ideals about Jesus being the answer for everything in a simplistic way. And so, you know, there was a guy who was here, who was a pretty serious alcoholic. And, you know, he was he was regretting things that he had done. And he's, uh, you know, never going to do this again. He's going to reform his life. He's never going to drink again. He's going to do these things. And I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. Like that's, you know, I, I helped this guy. We're going to pray together. And, and, uh, he's so sincere. He's saying this in tears. He can see the mistakes he's made. He's repenting of all this. It's going to be great. You know? And then he's back like a week later and he's saying all the same things again, because in the meantime, you know, he followed the same pattern. And I was like, oh, I see. You can be really sincere about something, but you're not actually accessing the parts of yourself that flood you when whatever it is, you know, and different habits, different patterns, different emotional experiences, different triggers, all that stuff happens in the meantime. And, uh, and we're, we can be so fragmented interiorly that we're, that we're not in touch with all of that stuff. And then you know, we can want to just leave all that stuff behind. I hate that part of myself. I want to destroy that part of myself. I can't stand that part of myself, but that is itself another part of us. There's a, there's another part of us that's not facing the reality of, listen, I got all that stuff in me and, and that's just a reality and we can move forward and figure out why those things are happening. But I got to accept the fact, first of all, that I've got all that stuff in me and, you know, it's there because it developed over time. And it's not because I'm an evil person necessarily. Um, you know, presumably I didn't develop that intentionally in an evil way over time. But you know, different traumas in life have led to different parts of me that emerge to try to keep me safe, and they get pushed into extreme positions, and then I do extreme things, and then I have other parts of me that come up to try to put the pieces back together, and it's messy and complicated. So compassion. Uh, curiosity, uh, not condemnation. So getting connected to those parts and also just realizing we're not going to do it on our own. Uh, it's, it's just a fact when we have these different dynamics going on in ourselves, the only way that we're going to grow in them is having somebody else that we can connect with, that we can open up with, that we can talk it through with, that we can, we can bring, you know, that I can be honest with 
the decisions I made. Well, what led you to have that binger the other night? Like, let's let's actually talk through that and and go through those things, and and even try to get to the pain that's going on underneath, which is, uh, you know, going to help to trigger all of that stuff and and really bring that into the light of day. But not just for the sake of information exploration. So it's not just a matter of processing to get further insight. It's a matter of human connection and and attunement that. Uh, I'm made for relationships. I'm made for connections. I was talking to a guy who's involved in um, Sexaholics Anonymous, so SA, and uh, he said, you know, that's all we talk about in the group is is connection. It's not a lust problem. It's a connection problem. Uh, we're lacking the relationships in our lives that we need to have healthy living. And so SA is is providing that. And what where is the shame enter in that makes me feel unworthy of connection and relationship. And then I need to be able to get into that shame and see that even in those places where I feel like a wreck, where I've made terrible decisions, where I feel completely unlovable, the places that my father never saw me, my mother never loved me, that my coach shamed me, that my big brother abandoned me and all that stuff in us that can be so painful and sensitive. Where is that stuff? And then do I have a trusting relationship in which you can receive me in those places? And I can feel unconditionally loved, even in the places of my shame. You know, these are the kinds of things that we, that we work through in uh, handling these, these areas of our lives. So hopefully I've given a sense of how messy it is, how complex, like a lot of moving parts there are, the necessity of relationships for working through that, especially trusting, loving relationships. And of course, that's what a counselor is meant to provide, but we need those relationships in our lives. Uh, in addition to the counseling, that can be a, a professional uh, with expertise who is able to really pinpoint and go quickly to the areas where we most need to be seen, and we need that that uh, unconditional love. But we need that to be ramified and um, magnified in other relationships in our lives as well, and so. All of that's necessary. And then it's, you know, we need patience with ourselves and it's going to take, we, we didn't get into this place overnight. We're not going to get out of it overnight, but uh, steadily, slowly, as we become aware of these things and develop those relationships. And, and of course, all of that makes possible and is uh, extended into our relationship with God. I certainly don't mean to leave that out by any means, but uh, I'm also sensitive to the way that people often want to use God as a kind of wild card. You know, if you just do this one novena, if you just say the right prayer, if you just have the right spiritual regimen, then you're going to get yourself out of this. <laughs> well, uh, we need all of that. That's another dimension of the healing uh, because our relationship with God extends into every moment of our lives, or it should. And, and, uh, Whereas my relationship with my counselor might be once a week and my relationship even with a spouse may be several points of connection in a day, God is with us all the time. And so that needs to develop and our relationship with him needs to develop. But uh, we can't avoid doing the hard work of feeling our emotions, working through the reasons, handling the triggers, exposing the shame, bringing that into relationship with others. We can't bypass all of that by saying a couple of prayers and going to mass. Uh, so just to hopefully that gives a, a fuller sense of the kind of picture that we're working with in, in terms of the emotional, psychological, spiritual growth that God wants to bring in into all of our lives. 
And to point out to everyone out there, this is more than just more is going on inside your body than just reliving memories. You know, there is biological and chemical processes going on inside your head. Every single thought you have, essentially, whether you realize it or not, it's almost like a, a road plower going down, just making a constantly different mind every second of every day based upon the way that you treat yourself, have your thoughts and go through it. And you're constantly building. Sometimes you're going over the same road over and over again. Sometimes you're exploring new space as if it is with a new relationship. So you can rewrite and you actually will be rewriting or reinforcing depending upon the direction you're going when you readdress these thoughts of what you did when you were younger. And it is incredibly beneficial there. And the reason I wanted to start with this discussion is because we all kind of know that there are certain substances, drugs, alcohol, whatever you want to have, that can be shortcuts to forgetting something now. But almost all of these end up putting us in a situation where the long-term effects erode that ability of reanalyzing ourselves. Sometimes it's just by flat out not remembering it. Sometimes it's just long-term effect of I can't control my emotions. I just get so insane that I go from zero to 100. Um, that was something that they talked about a lot in Tattoos on the Heart um, with the, piece, the, effect, the long-term effects of PCP is that you don't have the filter to handle extreme emotion. You just go to one effect or another. And obviously, that's the problem here. And it's kind of something that I think parenting comes into play, that we obviously we can't be parents to ourselves. But this dynamic of, is the action I'm doing good in the long run? Because our brains pretty much work in the eternal present of right now, what is the best thing for me in this stressful situation? And by virtue of evolution, it tends to work out decently enough where we're able to have enough kids and still have a species, but it doesn't look at the long-term effect that we have on ourselves. So constantly getting overwhelmed and then freaking out at people is not a long-term solution to having a good household. It might be good if you find people who also don't like what you're freaking out about. So now you have a little group of anger, um, you know, but that is not a long-term solution. And one of the things that I consciously invite people to do as an adult is to analyze some of these things that we do for short-term benefits and look to see if it is going to be good for us in the long run, because there are plenty of things that we can do that are the opposite of smoking. You know, smoking puts me in my own little place. I get a quick little high. It's done. Like, like I, I can overcome the stressful event in my day. Now I can make this cold call or I can overcome that call that didn't go the way I wanted it. But there's a lot more positive things that don't end up in this example, lung cancer. And I wanted to kind of talk about how prayer can be one of those elements that we all can implement that has tremendous upside, both short-term and long-term, that, you know, we can implement right now. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you you bring out great points, Joe. And uh, so glad you're reading Tattoos on the Heart. That's great. I've already it's finished it. It was a very good book, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, gosh. Yeah, so encouraging. Um, I guess I, 
I'm always sensitive to these things, so I want to say this uh, and then uh, press into your question. You know, like if you look at the guys in tattoos on the heart, because of the sort of jacked up way that they're living all the time, just praying is easier said than done. And uh, some of that needs to be regulated in relationships and, and uh, settle down. We, we do regulate each other emotionally, hormonally. You know, I mean, there's uh, those kinds of things are happening. And part of the problem was not being regulated in uh, some of those settings uh, at you know, for so much of their childhood and things like that. So, so there are ways that we may need to come into relationship and start settling down interiorly and simple body work kinds of things. I mean, like grounding ourselves by taking deep breaths and, and uh, just trying to settle our minds, giving ourselves some space. So I just want to recognize that sometimes people are so uh, filled with adrenaline and so much in the fight or flight, you know, high stress and then shut down and just can't put two thoughts together. And so uh, there, there may be some body work that helps to precede that uh, encounter in prayer. But, but then in prayer, we do connect with God and, and we do that from where we are and in simple places, you know, just taking stock of what's happening in us is what tends to happen spontaneously when we just turn the noise off, turn the external stimulation off, and then we start to get t- in touch with what's happening inside. And maybe it is that we're stressed out, that we're worked up, that we're sad about something, that we feel hopeless, that we're, uh, uh, or that we feel joyful and grateful and life is good. And wherever it is, bringing that into relationship with God and just placing it before him. I, I like the image of taking my heart, whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm going through, as if I'm placing it in my hand and holding it out to God, and then looking at him, I can see my heart, and I can see the Lord at the same time. My heart is sort of uh, like I see the windshield in my car. I notice it, but I'm looking through it, and I'm focusing my attention on the object in the distance, which is God. And, And that way, I'm sort of aware of myself without focusing directly on myself, and I'm aware of myself in relationship with, with God. And then Hopefully, I can formulate an, an image of God, which is, uh, as he really is, infinitely and unconditionally loving, that he wants to be with me, that he delights in me, that he smiles at me, that he takes me into his eyes, that I can resonate with a face that looks at me with love and sees me as a gift. And again, that can be the thing, kind of thing that's difficult if we've had the opposite of that for a long time or simply the lack of that in all of our other relationships, especially the most formative ones. But insofar as I'm able to really uh, place myself in his presence, breathe deeply, give myself some space, allow things to come up in the silence and just relate those things to God, uh, placing them in his presence, holding them out to him, letting him love me there, uh, that can be so healing. And as you said, Joe, I don't need anything extra to do that. I don't need to even go to a church, although it's certainly helpful to be in a sacred space. It helps my body to transition. It does some of that body work, if you will, mm-hmm. as I am surrounded by things which hopefully have a positive connotation. If people had terrible experiences in church, that can be more challenging. But uh, hopefully we have sacred experiences in church. We experience the peace that's there, the stillness. Uh, if it's an adoration chapel and other people are there, they have a way also of regulating us a bit. And their steadiness and slowness and sensitivity and presence can help to set a tone for us that we can enter into that space. 
And then that we can really relate with God from that perspective. And that can be tremendously helpful. And then just a simple uh, expressions from the in, interior, just telling the Lord, I love you, Lord. I'm so grateful. Thank you for the gift of, and we can make a list of the things we're grateful for, uh, that, that kind of space. And then maybe I just sit with one of those things. I'm so grateful for, you know, those of you who are married and have children, you know, so grateful for my, my children, my beautiful son, who I just love to be there and watch him and just can't imagine you gave me such an incredible gift and just sit there thinking about that, feeling about that. Um, all that can be grounding, helpful, connecting, healing, and, and we can really get into a, a good place in ourselves and relate that with the Lord. Beautiful. And one thing that I, I want to clarify, because I, I think I understand this correctly, but I think it's something that obviously I'm not God, so I don't know how to directly relate to him, but I know how my life is, is that being loving and, and and supportive does not mean that you agree and are encouraging every decision that someone else is makes. Um, you know, I, I think the easiest example is, is obviously I love my son. I don't agree with him trying to stick everything into the outlets. Um, I don't want you know, <laughs> to burn my house down with electrical fire. Um, so, that's a very easy one, you know, we can think of, but that applies to adult problems as well. You know, it, it is actually, in a way, dealing with this pain that we're taking on that I'd rather numb away with some substance is an act of mercy to those around you by you not taking that and kind of trying to play through whatever moment of pain you're in rather than hiding in a bottle. And that is something that I think that we all should look at is, yes, it's really hard, but it's also something that's inherently creating benefit and grace to those around us and by default ourselves as well. So I know that it's obviously not easy to, to, to put something down or, or to not pick it up in the first place, but just as a thought, maybe it takes 10 minutes longer for you to start the first time and you know, a year or so later, it gets to the point where it's three hours before we start. And maybe at some point it, it's no longer being consumed for negative reasons. And um, I just think of that as something that we can apply and think about before we start going down a road that feels feels easier now, but has long-term effects. And I think just going through that exercise of seeing what in my life is doing that, that's easy now, but negative long-term effects really will help yourself and your immediate people around you in so many ways that won't even be recognizable, quite frankly. Well, uh, I, I appreciate your pointing out the, it's a kind of basic measure of maturity is the ability to de delay gratification. Uh, so extending our capacity to uh, delay gratification really helps us to grow an interior freedom and, um, the, the challenge becomes uh, that some of the impulsive behaviors that prevent me from doing what I want to do uh, are not thought out. And so delaying them is not always a simple process. Uh, your son, for example, is not thinking out sticking things in electrical sockets. Uh, he's just kind of doing that. Mm -hmm. And uh, now he's 
uh, young enough that he's not thinking about a whole lot of things. He's really taking in his environment. It's uh, Maria Montessori called this the, the age, uh, zero to six is the age of the absorbent mind. They just take in everything and essentially without discretion. It's really just a, that's why uh, children can learn like four languages before the age of six and they never go to school. We can't learn four languages if we spent all of our time at it at this point. Mm-hmm. But that absorbent mind is able to just soak in reality. So anyway, the, your son's uh, his own uh, unique case. But um, for, for others of us, you know, we were talking about, I, I was talking about uh, people who, who get drunk and, uh, you know, make bad decisions around alcohol or uh, people who make bad decisions around uh, pornography or, you know, people who make bad decisions around uh, some of these more impulsive behaviors. It's, it's not always a conscious thought process. Uh, and it's not always just a matter of sort of uh, behavioral engineering, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, you change your thoughts to change your behavior, is uh, not effective against trauma, to say it very simply. And so um, it requires a little different emotional reorientation. And that's where the relationships and the connection and uh, those kinds of things were actually starved. You could think of it like, you know, a man who is starved for food will just, uh, I don't know, eat tree bark or something and will do things that uh, it's moved to extreme places. When we're starved relationally, we also do crazy things to to numb the pain and, and uh, we make impulsive decisions that we regret later, and um, but they're not always thought out in advance. So that's what we were talking about. I was saying earlier, you know, connecting with those parts of us, the part of us that made that decision that gets hurt, that reacts, that's impulsive, and then often bringing that into relationship with somebody. The connection from relationship is the pathway to healing. Uh, and so, uh, but uh, then also you said, you know, loving does not mean approving of every behavior. And that's very important to understand. Well, when I'm talking about the loving and connection, I'm, I'm thinking of Conrad Bars and emotional affirmation, which is at the level of being, like it is good that you exist. And I don't need to make an evaluation of your behavior one way or the other to show you that it is good that you exist. I spend time with you. I look at you. I take you in. I mirror you back to yourself. You see in my expressions what's going on in your heart. We have this attunement, which makes you feel that you are a gift to me because you exist. It's at that much deeper level of uh, affirming existence and uh, not getting stuck on behaviors. Now, behaviors need to be corrected or stopped or, you know, you need to intervene when your son's putting his fingers in the electrical outlet. But um, we, we affirm at the level of being. You love your son even when you correct his behavior. And that way, correction stays at the level of behavior and it doesn't flow over into identity and become rejection. Uh, his identity is that he's your beloved son. And nothing is going to change that. Uh, and even as you correct his behavior, it doesn't change the fact that he is, his existence, his being is, is as your beloved son. Absolutely. And all things that we certainly can think about and take in with us as we're going throughout the rest of this week. And we will be with you here next week as well. So thank you for listening and we'll be with you next week.